Hi, everybody. It's Peter Bassler back here with another episode for ESEC Lending Insights, our podcast series that we've been doing ever since COVID-19 was upon us. So welcome back for another one. I'm joined by my familiar co-host, Brooke Gilman. And today we've got a special guest making his podcast debut, Mike Brooks, from our fixed income lending desk and also Cash Reinvest Desk. So welcome, Mike, to your first podcast, and we look forward to the conversation. Thanks for having me. So it's Monday. Mondays usually suck, but I'm happy today because the weather's awesome. I'm now using AirPods for audio, and I have my two 85-pound golden retrievers sitting next to me at my feet, which is a first for me. Bodie, named after Bodie Miller and Milo. Where did Milo get its name? Just a long debate with the family. No real significance like Bodie Miller. So anyway, that's me here on the Monday. What about you guys? I'm doing well. I'm with you. The weather's nice. Got out on the golf course for the first time yesterday. Went as miserably as planned, but hey, it was nice out. So no complaints this morning. Awesome. Yeah. Brooke, how's have... Grace doing? She's frustrating. <laughs> Shockingly, she's quite strong-willed and independent-minded, which I think is going to serve her very well late in life. And at this point in life, it's a challenge, especially when she's still a little bit on the bench in terms of having a broken clavicle, which she doesn't necessarily want to fully cooperate. She's feeling better, which is great, but she therefore wants to do a lot and she's good at resisting her parents. So anyway, we had a great weekend. It was good weather. So lots of outside time. So can't complain now that spring is pretty much around the corner for us. Nice. Strong-willed and independent. Wonder where that comes from. Right. (laughs) Anyway. Right. Anyway, what we're talking about today is the U.S. Treasury lending market. And I feel like this is a topic that doesn't get a lot of airtime in our industry. And people might see or think about it as a little sleepy, but it's actually very attractive right now. And when it's attractive, it can be a very meaningful alpha to a portfolio. And what's interesting to me about it is that unlike the equity space where there's a purpose test and you actually have to have a short for a borrow in the treasury space, that's not the case. And there's a lot of collateral that's borrowed for other purposes. And you're seeing utilizations that can be close to 90% in the treasury lending market in some cases where equities, we're talking single digits. So a lot can go out on loan and a lot can make meaningful impact to portfolios. So with that as a backdrop, maybe Mike, if you can just give us a little bit of a view on why our counterparties are borrowing treasuries, maybe just give us a couple different examples. Yeah, as you said, it's basically a collateral management game. They're going to bid on some sort of a GC treasury and they're going to buy it in. They're going to offer it out the other side in a tri-party structure. And as you said, utilizations are at kind of historic highs right now. And typically the only thing that really prohibits that for us is dealers usually have pretty strict balance sheet constraints. So they have to hold certain amounts of capital against treasuries on balance sheet. And I know everyone's talked a lot about the supplemental leverage ratio in the last few weeks and some of the Fed's leniency towards this calculation in general is kind of the change in dynamic that has been driving some of this excess demand over typical times there. So it's been a time where we've had dealers across all spectrums looking for as much collateral as they can get in. And we're raising GC as cheap money, as we call it. A lot of dealers benchmark their overnight collateral to the overnight index swap rate. And if you look at some of the historicals on that, we're at a very tight spread there. So for our program, that's just led to a lot of volume-based lending in both cash and non-cash trades. And there have been some dynamics that you can kind of prohibit that in the future. I'm sure we can discuss later on this. 
But I think from a levels perspective and kind of getting it in uh, cheap to OBFR or whatever benchmark rate, I think that theme is here to stay. And Mike, talk to us about special. So there are ROs that are for shorts. And where in the treasury space do you see real shorts and specials that have more reasonable type of spread to them? Yeah, so typically the 10-year duration of the curve is where the most volatility and short base typically lies. And the dynamic of that is just the on-the-run 10 years, just a benchmark against a multitude of other lenders or hedging opportunities. If you look at things, mortgage rates are tied to 10-year treasuries, corporate bonds are tied to 10-year treasuries. So that's typically where the value usually lies. And it usually lies in mostly the first cycle of it. So each on-the-run has a three-month cycle. Each month, more collateral hits the street as it's reopened. The first month of the on the run 10 is usually the richest and has the most negative levels or the trades the deepest through GC. And then as it reopens, levels start going back up and kind of more normalized. Recently, we've been in a trend back to some COVID dynamics as economic growth and inflation is kind of creeped back into the market on the backs of increased vaccinations you've seen the treasury curve widen and you've seen a run on treasuries in the cash market and they're selling them. And this creates a lot of different types of complex trading strategies for some of the dealers, whether it's a steepening trades and you see a lot of corporate hedging going on in corporate bonds and they're using the tenure to cover them. And you're seeing some of this demand really trickle in here and it starts in the tenure sector, but there's only so much supply that can be met with the tenure, especially in the first issuance of it. And so some of this demand from the dealer community has trickled into some of the other issues. If you look at the repo curve right now, you're seeing anywhere from the three-year sector all the way out to the 30-year sector trading with negative levels. So some are all different variations of how special they are, but it is definitely some of the most special activity I've seen in the years I've been on the desk. And for our program across all of our client base, we have a pretty good allocation across these issues. So it's definitely been a welcoming theme and something that I expect to continue as looking at some yield forecasts and especially the longer end, just across different dealer research desks. And there's kind of some variation there. So I think the more volatility we see, I think we can kind of expect this trend to continue as well. So Mike, on the 10-year right now, if someone owns a 10-year, I know we talk about rebate rates and negative and all this, but as far as just a spread, like a simple spread, how much can someone earn by lending the 10-year right now? I'd say the best example would be looking at it in a term market to the next reopen date, which is 415. I think from a spread to say OBFI, you can probably pick up 35, 40 basis points on that which we had this conversation probably two weeks ago when it was in the first cycle and we were talking 300 basis points and on. And that was when it was trading through fail levels there. The difference dynamic since then has just been it's reopened and you got 10 plus billion kind of hitting the street and there's just more opportunities and other places to go, whether it's the Fed's SOMA portfolio or just other agent lenders or anyone else who has 10-year collateral. Some borrowers have other options to go. Historically, for the second cycle of a 10-year, that's still a pretty good demand in the issue. Right. It's pretty amazing that you can make a couple hundred base points a while back lending the 10-year. I mean, that's equity type levels. Right. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff that gets people excited. 35 base points still really strong, but I don't know how often people would think about it. Well, it's also part of the reason why we kicked Jim to the curb for this one. And we wanted Mike to take the mic so that we could hear more about what's going on in this space, just given that the lack of specials in the equity market and that there's more interesting activity right now to really discuss in this space. But Mike, I have a question. So early on, we were talking about how the dealers are having perhaps slightly less balance sheet constraints because of the easing of some of the supplementary leverage ratio. Yep. And, and we want to hear more about that. 
But now more recently, you just were talking about the increase of just general specialness around not just the 10 years, but even some of the other sectors and that that's sort of being unusual, but that feels like is driven more by some of the macroeconomic factors happening in the market. How much are the two connected? Like, are these two different things? I know everything's interconnected ultimately. So maybe this is a dumb question, but are these two different elements that just happen to make both treasuries have greater specialness right now, as well as greater ease of having higher on-loan balances through general collateral? Yeah, I think it's a combination of the both. The easing in the supplemental leverage ratio is just allowing dealers to lend cash and take in treasuries on sheet at no cost of balance sheet to them. So, you know, they do this around a breadth of issues. You know, it's increased our GC book, but it's also increased our specials book as well. And just on certain dates of reporting dates, you know, month ends, quarter ends, year ends, where they typically have to pare us down. We haven't seen that as much of late. So it's worked both in the GC and the specials market. But I think for a lot of the volatility on the specials curve that we're talking about, I think a lot of it is macroeconomic driven. A lot of it has to do with a lot of the different types of trades that are getting put on to try and take advantage of some of the variations in different tenures of the yield curve, as well as you start getting to kind of the new year you start seeing some more corporate bond issuance and some hedging increases with that. And they typically do that with some of the on the run issues as well. So I think it's definitely a combination of both, but I would definitely more heavily allocated towards come some of the macro events we've seen recently. Because I think if you look at some of the specials curve, as we've been talking the last month and a half, a lot of that has been during the time of inflation talks, economic growth, and the vaccines continuing to roll out. I think we've gone into February and March, and we started seeing more positive numbers on some of the outcomes in different variations of the vaccine coming out. So it's definitely a combination of both, though. Can I ask a question about term? I mean, most of the SEC lending market, generally speaking, is an overnight on open market. Yep. And the equity and corporate bond space, that's clearly true with the exceptional single name term structures. But in the treasury space, term is more typical. Yes. And maybe you could talk to a little bit why that is and why the dealers want longer term yep. borrows yep. and talk yes. a little bit about that. Yeah. So typically from a rebate perspective, overnight GC will always be the cheaper cost of funding. So in an ideal world, we would have our, all our balances be overnight, take advantage of the cheap cost of funding, and then just roll it on an everyday basis and re-rate it and just kind of leave it as is. The problem with that is overnight GC is more balance sheet intensive for the dealers than it is in term. They just can't match it off as well on the other side. So for that reason, dealers do like things to be termed up and that's where you can guarantee. So you're trying to keep a stable portfolio, especially versus cash. You have a whole asset side to think about as well, right? So to a certain degree, large influxes kind of come off at will over certain dates. So we like to term up a good part of our book to lock in that stable funding. And then those typical longer term trades and liability sides usually fund some of the longer term assets, match that off one for one. And I think historically, usually I would say a five to seven basis point difference between say something like a, an overnight trade on a day-to-day -day basis to kind of where term funding is. Recently in this new environment we're in, where there's so much cash in the market from uh, various Fed programs and stimulus checks that now are on a third stimulus check, and this money inevitably ends up back in the banking system, back in money funds, which is back in repo, back in the front end. So this term structure now is as flat as I've ever seen it. You can, you can raise cash in an overnight structure. You know, it's now only a couple of basis points lower than where it would be a term structure. Even if you look at a term ladder, we were at a point last week where raising cash one, two, three, six months 
kind of almost indifferent. So I think for us, we want to make sure we stay as stable as possible. It makes a lot of sense now to start hitting some of these term bids, especially when you're only giving up now. They got as tight as you know two basis points or so. So I think just peace of mind and to know those balances are stable. I think there's been a lot of term action going on. I think it's also worth noting that when you do a term trade in the treasury space, let's say for $100 million, $500 billion, that you always typically, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, have rights of substitution. So yep, the exactly. Lender, the lender so, can buy and sell and not worry about that yep, because so it's always it, the same it, type of security. It, it allows the underlying portfolio manager to continue to transact in the cash market as he sees him and her sees fit, take advantage of any price action there. And we can just write the substitution. You swap it up the morning of, and it's pretty seamless. I mean, it's something the dealers do with a lot of the agent lending community. We do it with the spectrum of our clients, some more active than others in kind of some of the swaps. But yeah, it's something that the dealers are very familiar with. So Mike, so term is easier to do. GC balances are easier to do. Term costs less. That's all good. But talk to us a little bit about the cash reinvestment market, though, on the sort of other side of it. I appreciate that it's always going to depend upon, for those clients using cash, yep. of course, for what a client's guidelines are and where they are on the spectrum of risk in terms of what they're yep. going to invest in. But even those with more liberal guidelines, I think, are still challenged today. So talk yeah. to us a little bit about how it all kind of matches up together. And Yeah, so some of this repo to zero phenomenon, it definitely looks good from a cash raising perspective on the liability side. But, you know, when you are playing the cash market, you have to kind of find opportunities on the reinvestment side. And I think just the cliche on the asset side right now is that there's too much cash chasing, just too few of assets here. It's a supply demand dynamic that is heavily favoring the issuers. There's just so much cash slushing around in the front end that dealers really don't have to offer too wide of levels to attract cash because there's you got to think of not just agent lenders, you got to think of big money funds who have to spend the cash. They have inflows. And this is kind of going back to the dynamic of there's cash from the Fed operations, cash from stimulus checks. They all end up back in money funds and the money funds have to spend the money and they have a little more conservative guidelines can only go out, I think, 13 months max. So, you know, you're going to live in that, you're going to live in the one year and under part of the curve for the most part. And they have different liquidity buckets and things of that nature. So, Unfortunately, we're in a time right now, especially where we're at historic lows of LIBOR settings, as well as just supply demand dynamic where there's so much cash and issuers really don't have to widen out too much to attract that cash in. I think the only points where we've had some sort of widening of the curve is during quarter ends or month ends, where a lot of issuers wrap up funding and investors become more selective with their cash spending, strictly because money funds, agent lenders, insurance companies, that they're all expecting quarter end pare downs and outflows as typically has been the case. And for that reason, for an issuer who wants to get cash in, get funded, and to get somebody to take that dive in and to spend cash at you know the last week before quarter end, you have to offer something a little more attractive than normal. This happened right before year end, December, the level started to widen out a little bit. I think cash investors and you know, credit investors, they saw that as a good sign. We were a week into 2021, all the cash came right back to the market as outflows either didn't happen or outflows started turning back into inflows. And we went right back to this each day, you seem to go basis point lower, basis point lower, basis point lower. So what cash investors have to do is get a little more creative right now, either invest increasing guidelines, expanding guidelines to uh, new issuers, different tiers of issuers, other products. A lot of prime fund cash has been going into short-term duration of fixed income portfolios. Some investors who typically 
only go say 12 months have been looking now at 18. You got to be a little more flexible maybe than times past when you're strictly a cash investor. For our program, we look at it as a spread product. So if we're losing two basis points on the asset side, we can at least try to clean up the liability side by either have term trades rolling off that are rolling lower or continuing to maybe change our allocation between overnights and term to try to get the lowest cost of funding there. So it's definitely been a difficult yet interesting time. It's definitely a balancing act. And unfortunately, I think for the cash side, we're probably in this environment for quite some time until there starts to get more of some chatter and some noise about tightening and interest rate hikes. That's typically what starts widening out that curve a little bit and, and, and having issuers offer wider for cash crunch, which we had during the height of the pandemic. But the way that the Fed plumbing is right now and, and the, the continuing stimulus and then the money in the market, I do think that we're going to be in a cash heavy environment for the foreseeable future. And so what about then non-cash collateral trades versus treasury assets? Because obviously, from my perspective, I know we're seeing more of that these days, and I don't know what to attribute it to. So obviously, it's conversations with clients around different opportunities, maybe clients that had historically been more of cash lenders that are getting comfortable with other collateral types. But can you talk about opportunities there and both what types of collateral we're seeing and then maybe how that compares? Again, it's hard to do a direct compare to what a cash spread trade might be, but Can you talk about it, maybe how it's changed over time and going back a year, a treasury versus a non-cash trade, what that might have looked at in terms of spread comparison to a cash profile versus today with cash spreads having come in so significantly? Yeah. So I'll go back to maybe the height of the pandemic here as well, when you were getting dealers or central or domestic and international dealers looking for access to US dollar funding. And the only bank that can print that is the Federal Reserve. When cash was not abundant in the market, they looked for other opportunities to get access to US dollar cash. And one way they did it was they would borrow treasuries and lend some other assets and kind of upgrade, downgrade trade. And then they would do a swap on the other side to turn that treasure they just borrowed into cash. So during the height of the pandemic, this was not only just a volume-based trade, the spreads were there as well. We were doing open trades, 35-day evergreens, kind of bullet structures in the 20s to even 30s for a short amount of time. This goes back to the Fed and their programs adding some cash to the market. They opened up swap lines with 15 other central banks, basically just giving different central banks in different countries access to dollar cash directly. That unfortunately did cheapen the market up from a levels perspective, but the volume is still there. I would say we are probably now back to pre-COVID spreads. We are getting single digits on open, depending on the different types of trade structures or the timing of the trades in bullet type trades, but the volume has definitely increased since then. I think a lot of people just don't want to deal with reinvestment risk. It's just, if you don't have to take on some of that credit risk and try and place on a reinvestment risk, meaning when you put on a, a bullet trade or a floating trade, now you have to, you also take on roll risk of our interest rates going to be higher or lower than where you previously put on the trade that kind of goes away with some of this non-cash action. And if you talk about collateral types, it's still a lot of upgrade downgrade trade. We're starting to see the Canadian governments, Canadian provincials, EGBs, Japanese government bonds were a big one for a while and it still currently are. Now we're getting a lot of inquiries on straight treasuries versus equities as well. So all these type of trades have been in the market for a while. I think if you look across our book, our volumes are at some of the highest they've been. Maybe a little off since the height of the pandemic, but definitely if you look back six months prior, they're definitely higher. 
And I think it's more of a conversation for some of our clients are definitely looking at it more than they previously did. And I think that's just a dynamic of, it takes away the thinking of where you're going to spend the cash, especially now if you're just playing in the real short-term market in cash, getting tri-party repo levels, one basis points could be your max. There are some offering just zero. It's basically just capital preservation at that point rather than a reinvest. Yeah, I would just say that as people start looking at non-cash, we're spending a lot of time with clients and this is more Brooks world, but showing them stress test analyses on how taking other forms of collateral looks in a crisis situation, right? Whether that's sovereigns from Japan or other countries or equities. Lending treasuries versus equities on its face looks like something that you should be cautious on. But if you have the right counterparty, the right, right margin, yep. you know, it all can still do really well and perform in a crisis situation. So we're spending a lot of time in discussions with our risk team and clients to show them that analysis. Definitely. I feel like we could go on forever doing this, but treasury lending is very much more of an asset and liability spread business than the equity side is. And I think it's definitely somewhere where people should be paying attention. We have some pretty unique strategies we're executing on right now for clients where we have a trade where the lending side is indemnified, the collateral side is indemnified, and we're locking in about a 15 basis point spread on almost full utilization of a treasury portfolio. So that's really meaningful alpha for people. We're also able to get higher utilizations because some of our competitors have different balance sheet situations as it relates to their indemnification. So that can be a big driver on being at like a 40% utilization level versus a 90 plus, which is our experience today. So anyway, treasuries is not a sleepy place right now. It's a good place to focus. We've got strategies. We've got the right people. Mike, appreciate those comments. Really good and hopefully educational for everybody. We will continue to talk about this market and this asset class going forward and hope you glean something from it and that your Monday is as good as ours. Stay tuned for the next one. And Mike, thanks for doing a great job on your uh, your first podcast. Yeah, Thanks for having me, guys. Yes. All right, guys. Thanks, everyone. Take care.